0: Welcome to the Training Babel Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Shell, and today I'm joined by the nutrition mechanic, Dina Griffin. Dina is a registered dietitian and a sports nutritionist. Dina, thanks for joining me today.
1: Dave, thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited to chat nutrition with you.
0: Yeah, and I'm super excited to have you. As we mentioned, this is the first time I've actually met you um, kind of virtual face-to-face, but our paths have crossed many a times. And I've seen your name all over the place. Um, I really got interested in having you on when I was actually riding to Moab with one of your, um, one of the athletes that you work with, um, his name's Finlay. And he was just telling me about all the success he had had. And then, um, th- that desire was even deepened when I talked to another friend who said that he started working with you and some of the results he's seen so far have just been astounding. Like I saw him and he's like, now I'm jealous. Um, so, (laughs) so yeah, it's like, we definitely need to have you on. Um, nutrition is a really popular topic and and can be very divisive. Um, but hoping that today we can come away with some actionable things. And, um, I think you're just the person to help us with that.
1: Yeah. Like you said though, Dave, I mean, before we even delve in just the, divisiveness and polarized aspects of nutrition and sports nutrition and, and with the evolving emerging science, you know, there's just a lot to piece through. And so, um, you know, I look forward to, to hearing the questions and engaging in that conversation, but just to preface, you know, there, there is a lot that we still don't know or can't conclusively say, um and i think that's important to convey um when i work with athletes or just talk with other athletes is you know here's a bit of what we know and here's what we don't know and and just being aware that when you hear sometimes very firm statements related to nutrition it needs to be put in context
0: yeah yeah i i, I love that you just said that because i feel like that's one of the things and and probably you and I were just talking before we started recording and I I had coupon recently. And, um, I guess if that's one of my bullshit detection things is when, when people state things as like absolute fact, then I always kind of question it a little bit because I, like you said, there's so much gray area and we can say, okay, for 70% of the people, this is how things work. Um, but there's always the outliers, right? Um, Exactly. So awesome. Well, I, um, before we get started, um, I, Uh, introduced you as a nutritionist and um, registered dietitian. So, um, will you expand on that a little bit and just tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Okay. Yes. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, I mean, I started in nutrition sort of as a, a second career. So, I had spent my first career doing software consulting and a lot of travel and just nerdy computer work, and, and I really wasn't finding the the value and reward in that, like I thought, despite, an, you know, a nice paycheck. It just wasn't the fulfilling journey that I was hoping to be on, so in that whole time, I had moved from the Midwest to Colorado, had started um, Running a lot more in terms of just going from that 5k, 10k distance to marathon kind of training and getting into um, being an endurance runner as, you know, adult onset kind of aspect. (laughs) And so in my journey of marathon training, you know, a number of, a number of years ago, I realized that I was struggling with uh, fueling for my runs. And one of my big marathons was a total disaster with um, fueling and gut bomb and, you know, not being able to qualify for the Boston Marathon like I had hoped. And it came down to poor nutrition strategies. I was well-trained, um, but I didn't have very good info uh, or the right info for me, I should say. Um, and so that piqued my interest in getting into nutrition, and so uh, at that time, then I just decided to make a cold career change, go back to school, get a master's in nutrition, pursue the credentialing f- to become a registered dietitian, and then get the um, credentialing for the the board certification for sports nutrition specialist. Um, that way, I could figure out it was kind of selfish, like what am I doing wrong? And then you know, appreciating what. I was seeing with with my running partners and training partners, like, oh, wow, there's so much individualization here um, that, you know, like the Runner's World article, that doesn't apply to me in this stage of my life or this kind of um, advice I'm getting. So that's kind of the maybe longer story than you were hoping as far as um, like how I got into the field or a little bit more of who I am. But just to tag on to make it one, one more minute long, longer is just uh, so this career change then enabled me to be uh, involved in private practice to really pursue this passion of working one-on-one with athletes of all levels. Um, And so just a couple years ago, then I started my own practice, the nutrition mechanic, as you mentioned. So It's one of my big fire lighting activities here for me is just, is getting to work with all kinds of, uh, you know, level of athlete, male, female, and really throughout the life cycle, just so that we can achieve the bucket list items, you know, and really pursue the adventures that, that we all want to, uh, achieve.
0: That's awesome. And, and so how long ago did you make that, uh, career change?
1: Ooh, so yeah, it's almost twenty years now.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, and I, I really, I have to say that I really appreciate the fact that you're also, and you're still board certified. Correct, you're mm-hmm. still registered dietitian. Because I know yep. that, I know that there's things you can do to be to call yourself a sports nutritionist and get a certificate and things like that. And so I appreciate the fact that you you've actually done the work, and and so I Assume you know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because I, I sometimes forget people don't know there are, you know, nationally accredited programs, and there is a difference just in the terminology nutritionists really, anybody is a nutritionist. Um, the dietitian route does require different education and credentialing um, and, and continuing education and so forth. Anywho, yeah. yes, that's it, Dave. In a nutshell,
0: no, that's awesome. And I, I, not not to go too far off the track here, but um, so it, it just always, and the reason I bring that up is it amazes me. My wife is an ER nurse, and I, you know, some people get a very, um, I guess, a surface level education and nutrition and stuff. And my, I, I kind of resonate with your story because I used to be a cook, and then I made a career change, um, but as getting my culinary degree, I had to do nutrition and things like that. And so that's where my understanding came from. But again, it's very surface level. And so I, my wife, you know, when they're handing um, patients pamphlets as they're discharging them from the hospital, they have guidelines and stuff. And a lot of it's just so outdated at this point that it amazes me um, because it just can't keep up with the science, right? Like they're still saying um, stuff like that was the new science 10 years ago and has since been, disproven or not optimized, you know,
1: exactly. So, well, yeah. hey, that's a fun fact to learn about you. I didn't know you were a <laughs> culinary trained expert. Amazing. Uh, I
0: wouldn't say expert, but, uh,
1: <laughs> but awesome, I've, got the, though. I've got
0: the degree. So,
1: yeah. I love
0: it. So, um, let's start off. And I, I think this is a good place to start is that you had mentioned the runner's world articles and, and things like that. And as a coach, I, tr- you know, I try to do my best to give my athletes good nutrition, um, recommendations and things like that, but it is hard. And I, like one of my trusted resources is, um, or or which is um, Oscar, you can droop, but it, it's hard. There's so much conflicting information out there and stuff like that. And so I guess to start, what are some of the biggest nutrition mistakes you see athletes make when they come to you and start to work with you?
1: Yes. Great question. Um, and, you know, I have this ongoing list of mistakes <laughs> because it's, I think that makes a profound impact when we learn from others what, you know, what's going, what went wrong or what did you do wrong so that I don't make the same mistake. Um, so I have this list in front of me that, that I usually have um, when doing some interviews like this, Dave, and I want to pick a couple, but I also thought it'd be fun, you know, like pick a number one to 20 because there's a lot on this list. (laughs) Um, But one of the common mistakes is the approach to body composition changes or weight loss is, um, is the, so there's so many layers here. I'll just pick a couple layers within that mistake realm, um, because I would say, geez, ninety percent of of the athletes I work with desire weight loss, you know, and and I just want to be told what to have for calories, my macros, um, just tell me what to do, and and that's it, um, and so. The, the expectation with weight loss is often as just calorie counting and numbers driven. And it's absolutely true that, that certainly the energy we consume and the energy we expend plays a huge role into weight regulation. But the fact is, as endurance athletes or other kinds of athletes, we have to consider the many stressors on the body. So like training load, training volume, the type of training, the type of athlete that we are, whether that's a newer athlete or a very experienced athlete, Um, female versus male. So I'm kind of just given some bullet points as to how these, like the mistake gets built into the weight loss approach or that mindset, I guess. Um, so it's kind of like, well, a one size fits all, you know, I just do this percent of carb, protein, fat, and I achieve my body comp goals. And it's really not that easy. Um, so one of the mistakes in that realm, not only the thinking that it's just numbers and a, and a simple formula is the lack of nutrition periodization that needs to happen. And so what I mean by that, and then I'll pause and you can let me know if I'm um, making sense here, is just as athletes, we really need to think about how we are composing or constructing um, the nutrients that we need for completing our training sessions and adapting uh, as expected from those training sessions but also the recovery aspect, meeting our needs as um, male, you know, men or women and then what age group we are, um, putting carbohydrates in properly, putting in proteins at the right timing, in the right amounts, paying attention to appetite, um, preparing for training sessions. So I think in this in this mistake, huge, huge area here with weight loss is that um, the simplification that's done is that really needs to go away. And we need to have a lot more appreciation for the complexity and just the, the nuances that, that need to come into that approach, Um, I'll pause there because I know there's a lot to that whole, like, how is this a mistake? Because I'm not saying weight loss is a mistake. It's or thinking that you can't have weight loss. It's just that uh, approaching it in a very strategic manner uh, is needed.
0: So you're absolutely right. And I feel like with that answer, this could become this entire podcast. (laughs) Exactly. There is so much there. And so I I just want to um, kind of expand on that a little bit is that one, that's definitely something I've seen with my athletes um, recently because the goal, especially with cyclists, lighter is better. It's always about lighter is better and and not taking into consideration how, how that weight's lost or where it's coming from. On top of that, the issue that I've seen pretty recently is you, you have this really high training volume and you're under fueling for it. And so it just becomes this downward spiral where you're not losing weight, but you're also can't complete workouts and you just feel terrible all the time, which gets into this whole relative energy deficiency syndrome. And I that could be another podcast and maybe you'll touch on it, but I, I, that seems like it's very prominent recently. Um, so that leads into this question of is there a proper time to focus on weight loss or can people do it when they are carrying a high training load? And I, I think one of the things I struggle with as a coach is fueling those workouts. What is the appropriate amount? I th- think it comes down to fueling for the work you're doing. Um, but what does that look like? And, and I guess how can we go about healthy weight loss?
1: Yeah, great one. Great points too. Uh, I mean, the ideal would be... Kind of backtracking, you know, and and getting getting the approaches to weight change and body composition improvements early on in a season or a training year, however, one we want to look at it. I mean, so you know how classically we have said, you know, the off season is just for um, fun and relaxation, and it's okay to maybe gain some weight during that time. But, you know, I struggle a little bit with that because my preference would be if there is body fat to lose, and that's a whole other area. Um, but if you have body composition goals, you know, starting closer to that off-season time or early base season or when the training load and intensity isn't so, so high. So that's the dream. Um but <laughs> that doesn't always happen for, for good reason um, for some people. So once we get into you know, a new um, training season or year, uh, you know we can still maximize some of those changes with respect to promoting body composition changes we seek early on in the season. Um, again, I think that's the beauty of you know, a dietician and the coach working together is because, you know, you're in charge of the training programming and I can help shift the, the nutrition around what it is you're programming. You know, so it's like that multi um, eye <laughs> focus on the, the, the training um, that's needed to start developing that system or rebuilding or just um, increasing the, the strengths that are already there, but also how to shift nutrition to support what it is we're looking for from health, body comp, and then those training adaptations. Having said all of that, I think when we are in big training blocks or it is, you know, those harder um, blocks of training, and, and there is that need, <clears throat> excuse me, or desire for body comp changes. What you said, like fueling for the work required, that has to be in place. And so, you know, if we can avoid the dieting around the workouts is one thing that we want to keep in mind. So we, we do want to fuel appropriately. <clears throat> but then we need to distinguish between the kind of training session that we have, you know, so if it is um, more of the aerobic focused session, then the fueling can be a little lighter. It might be able to include a little more on the protein fat kind of side, whereas if it's a higher intensity, very, you know, important key session, you um, with specific goals and we want to make sure we're achieving those goals. Right. So that's where the fueling composition may be uh, a little bit more carbohydrate focused. Um, Not to say like loads of simple sugars or anything, but it, it's kind of looking at that periodization element again and really putting in that strategic or that smart carbohydrate uh, with a little bit of protein to um, accomplish, you know, that specific training session. But overall, you know, that's an hour or two of the 24-hour day. So we can look to the rest of the day to to really enhance or manipulate the food amounts and the food combinations to support safe weight loss or fat loss.
0: Okay. So with the – um. You had mentioned on a more aerobic focused day, then you can do less carbs and, and maybe a little bit more protein. And, and I imagine just less fueling overall, right? For a three hour ride or th- easy ride um, doesn't require as many calories as a one hour, very hard ride. Um, but you also mentioned with the higher intensity stuff, do carbs with a little protein. And so, what is the role of protein in that high intensity work?
1: Yeah, perfect. And part of this is really just looking at um, keeping in mind the the type of carbohydrate and the amount that we're having prior to that higher intensity session. The protein has a few roles there. Um, One is ingesting that protein with the carbohydrate prior to the start of the session allows for a bit more of that stable blood sugar level as we start the session. Um, so if you imagine, you know, eating a, a goo or a simple sugar source, you know, 100, 200 calories, whatever we're looking at before a workout with no protein, it's just simple sugar. Um, the body does switch to, you know, process that carbohydrate. The problem is it's very short lived so that that energy benefit we get from a simple sugar without the protein is is short-lived. It's not going to stick with us very long. Um, So it has very, you know, acute benefit. Whereas if we can change the source of the carbohydrate to move it away from the emphasis on simple sugar and then put in a little bit of protein, um, that's helping with stable blood sugar. It also can just help with you know, thinking forward is that recovery aspect, um, especially for women that's important. Not that it isn't for men, but the timing of protein ingestion, uh, makes a difference between men and women. So it's, it's kind of like thinking short term and then a the little bit long term and then just the sticking power of protein, um, in, in meals around our training.
0: Okay, and and we'll yeah. come back to that in just a moment. Okay, um,
1: Can I make it, one more point, Dave? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Just, just when you mentioned um, earlier about even with some like some of the cyclists you work with, lighter is better, and you know we want to, you know, just maximize all of our training. And sometimes it's harder to um, keep up with fueling, right? Or there's that mindset like I need to train more. And not eat as much to achieve those body comp goals. And that doesn't work very often. Um, The kicker with that too, when we are trying to lose some weight or or you know improve power to weight ratio from the body comp angle, is if we can, and I, I don't like using the word diet, but I'll I'll use it here for purposes of example, but if we can make that calorie deficit um, as small as possible, like two, three, four hundred calories a day deficit instead of the five hundred thousand calorie deficit, uh, especially in those peak weeks when we're just trying to crank out a lot of training in order to support. Uh, our metabolic health, hormonal health, that recovery aspect, and still achieve body comp changes, that deficit doesn't have to be huge. And I think that's something that's really coming to light now.
0: And and now that we're talking about that, so it, we have a really convenient way to measure that with cycling, because if you have a power meter, you can actually see the exact amount of work you do. And, and maybe it's even a little bit more than that, because it's not measuring other things going on but you can see if you did a three-hour ride and it's 1500 calories or 2000 calories like you need to eat for that um and maybe for running it's not as easy to measure but i just want to make that point with cyclists like you can look on training peaks and see where it says work and it tells you exactly or very close to exact amount of calories you burn that workout
1: yeah having the metrics definitely can help tailor then the nutrition program
0: yeah and and so with the protein, um I guess one of my concerns and and maybe it's been disproven or it's a myth now, but like eating protein it it for high intensity stuff, it's harder to digest, and so it might lead to g i distress and and things like that, especially for running. I know that when I was running a lot, I had a hard time like with the oatmeal if I ate oatmeal the day before and then did a ten k the next day, I was just wrecked as everything's shut down. So um, is there a risk of that with protein or, or what are those sources for a longer lasting carb and and how much is that protein you should add to that?
1: Yeah, it doesn't have to be a ton of protein pre-workout. Um, again, we're just trying to put in enough to help, for one, make that carb that we're having, whether it's oats or a whole grain bread, or it's fruit or yogurt. We're just trying to have that protein um, complement the carb to have it stick around longer. Amount of protein could be in the range of, you know, 10 grams to maybe 25, 30 grams of protein, which would be a lot for some people. Um, and if there is concern for digestion issues or, you know, some sort of negative response. We can play within the types of proteins, um, you know, whether that's plant-based or animal-based, but also then the timing of that protein. So maybe, you know, for some that have iron-strong guts, they can eat you know, their omelet and toast 20 minutes before they're heading out the door. Others need closer to 60 to 90 minutes just to let things go, certainly, or let things work, I should say. <laughs> but cert- <laughs> yeah, not go. Um, certainly, the amount of protein will affect that digestion time. So if we are having a huge you know, five egg omelet with bacon and all this stuff, it's going to, that will sit in the stomach quite a long time. So that's not necessarily the, the optimal choice, um, especially prior to a higher intensity session.
0: Okay. And, and now let's stay on the protein topic. Um, you had mentioned, so let's talk about recovery, like immediately post-workout and then also throughout the day, but then you also mentioned how it differs quite a bit for women. Um, so if you could just talk about that a little bit. That
1: yeah, beginning. definitely. It's important um, because a lot of us do forget, you know, like we're done with our training. Now I get on with my day. Um, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we forget about the recovery nutrition. And that doesn't necessarily have to be, bottled protein shakes all the time. It can be, a, you know, like a whole food-based meal or your next meal that serves as recovery. Um, between men and women, the difference or one of the key differences is um, that time window. And I used to be suspect of this, you know, years ago, like, oh, there can't be that much of a difference between men and women in our recovery window. Yeah. Um if you look at the little bit of research we do have, it does show that there are differences in the way mus- muscle protein synthesis happens be- between men and women, um, and that's has to do with mTOR and some of these other, like the signaling um, that happens. But what it means, you know, in practical terms is that women who are not in... Uh, post-menopause years, so all of us in pre-menopause time, the amount to get within 30-45 minutes is more like 30 grams of protein um, to really stimulate that uh, muscle protein synthesis, that repair process. Um, of course, the type of protein matters too. For men, you guys have you know four to six hours before before that protein, uh, you know, before that that synthesis or repair process starts to get compromised or it's just a little slower. So it's not as urgent, shall we say uh, with men. And then the other difference, Dave is for postmenopause. Uh, female athletes, that amount of protein needs to be kicked up to closer to 40 grams of protein within that, you know, 30 to 60 minute window. Again, that has to do with um, differences that are age related, uh, differences in estrogen levels and some of the hormonal effects that occur in that stage of life. Um, I would argue, though, that that masters male athletes really need to be attentive to getting higher protein amounts throughout the day. Um, And that has to do with just the age differences. You know, it's not so much, um, you know, that there's something going on with male hormones quite as much. But there are differences that we can see when we test blood on male athletes. With declining testosterone and things, depending on the the training that's being imposed, that higher protein, meaning closer to 40 grams at each meal can make a difference in just maintenance of the muscle that we do have.
0: So so to recap there with, um, you said for men, it's like 30 to 60 minute window. And for women, it's like four to, or sorry, reverse, 30 to 60 minutes for women and four to six hours for men.
1: Yeah, it's not as tight is, of a window. It doesn't that's crazy. Mean, but you know, in the context of what you're saying, like, ooh, under fueling concerns, I never say really to my male athletes, like, eh, don't worry about it especially in those big weeks, right? Because my concern is that low energy availability state. Um, we used to think only women were susceptible to that, but but male athletes need to be really attentive to getting in that fuel that they need to recover and take care of health, prepare for the next day. So even though from the, um, you know, like the physiology side you have a longer time for that protein to come in i would say if there is risk for under fueling which is fairly common that why wait you know let's yeah let's just get in the good calories sooner than later
0: so um that's definitely one of the things I've seen as I've started having some of my athletes um, track nutrition is it It seems like the protein is the hardest one. Everybody's not getting enough protein and exactly. the thing they struggle to get. enough. And it's quite a bit when you actually start to track protein and trying to eat 40 grams at each meal. It's like and so one of the questions I have are what are some good sources? Because as I start to look at things in the fridge, I'm like, I don't want to eat beef jerky with every meal or, you know, but I'm looking and it's like, Oh gosh, I'm going to have to eat a ton of yogurt or I'm going to have to eat a ton of nuts to um, get enough. And so that's one question. And then my second question is for people that might be plant-based athletes, what are some good um, plant-based sources of protein?
1: Good one. Yeah. I mean, 40 grams does sound like a lot for a meal. Um, Animal protein people can certainly have a little more flexibility and ease there. And sometimes just combining more than one protein source is helpful. So just to give a feel an animal or fish protein, 40 grams is about, um, if we looked at cooked, you know, animal or fish, it's about, uh, five to six ounces cooked. um, so I know some people that are huge protein fans and they, you know, eat 8 to 12 ounces at, at uh, a main meal. Um, but if you do have more of an omnivorous type of eating plan, then, then certainly the options are, uh, multiple with poultry and beef and bison and eggs, um, yogurt, dairy, like you said. Um, and I think keeping in mind that combination, like the yogurt with the nuts or the hemp hearts and, you know, multi layering in the proteins or chicken with black beans, you know, that kind of thing for the plant-based vegetarian or vegan folk, um, we do have to get a little more strategic there, uh, if, if soy foods like tofu and tempeh are workable, then I think that's a, a good one. Otherwise, it is looking at the legumes, um, you know, and your lentils. So any kind of bean. Um, peas are a great source of protein. Um, we can get some pea, f- pea protein kinds of uh, fortified foods, like have you seen Dave the uh, fortified milks that have pea protein added? I've not
0: seen that. No, Interesting. that's
1: yeah. Same with yogurt. So it's technically non-dairy, but they they use maybe a blend of nuts and pea protein, so that that can be handy for on-the-go kind of stuff. Um, Very cool. Yeah. So we, you know, it's it's definitely requires a little bit more uh, effort and planning to get in that plant protein, but it's doable.
0: Okay. Um, so I, I know that we're coming up on time that you have to go. And so I just want to, f- and maybe this is a bad choice, but I want to finish with one last question. And then we'll definitely, if you're up for it, I'd love to have you back and continue the conversation. Um, just because this leads into this conversation is fasted training is very on vogue right now. And it, that is one of those things where it's like, a lot of times I might have athletes do it and I don't know about it and it's not until after the fact I realize they've been doing all their training fasted because they heard that it was a good thing to do or something. Yeah. And so so is there a place for fasted training in trying to improve, you know, weight loss and body composition um, without getting into all the other stuff? And then if so, when is the time for that? Like, how do you do it safely without compromising other things?
1: Yeah. It is. It is a good topic, right? Um, I think it is important to understand for for those of us who do fasted training. What are the expectations? Um, Because there's a lot to that, right? Is it yeah? (laughs) So, fasted training will will or will not help me achieve weight loss easily. You know, like is this true? But some of the research shows. it's, it's not any more effective than doing non-fasted training for weight loss purposes. Right. Um, and then the question is, are we compromising the quality of that training by doing it fasted? So we just need to think about what it is and the expectations. Um, I would say if we are in maybe more of that base training phase, so if the workout is uh, shorter and very aerobic, you know, if that athlete is honoring aerobic effort is another question, right? <laughs> yes. I think I'm going easy and my heart rate's like way mm-hmm. nutso. So um, I think we can have some fasted training, but I wouldn't recommend relying on it for uh, optimal The optimal strategy for weight loss. Um, Certainly it will affect uh, fuel usage, um, meaning, you know, improving fat oxidation, but we can achieve improved fat oxidation through many other strategies. So I'd rather not have an uber stressed athlete who is probably already you know not sleeping well and not eating optimally i'd rather not throw another stressor onto the table like that okay yeah. and
0: so i love that and so i guess just so that i'm clear it, it it can be a strategy for weight loss and then i guess do you utilize it or do you coach athletes or is it all through nutrition because i'm just curious if you do if you've ever used it to try to um, get a performance benefit from it
1: I have seen, so I have not advised that directly. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. For those who have, don't have a coach, you know, they're, they're, and they are male. I don't recommend this much to my female athletes, but some fasted training can work for those who um, maybe aren't willing to make some of the other food cho- choices and changes. So doing a morning easy bike ride, uh delaying that first meal of the day for a few hours, it works for some people to just overall lower the calorie consumption for the day. But certainly, you know, again, we have to keep in mind when is this um, fasted session happening within the training year, the training plan, making sure we're not compromising the health of the athlete. Uh, you know, so I, I wouldn't have, again, one of my uber-stressed athletes undertaking that kind of additional physiological stress. Um, Performance-wise, I'd say the research doesn't show that um, fasted training yields much, if any, performance benefit when it comes to race day. Um, But if that helped us get to a leaner, you know, more achievable or a more desired body composition, then maybe, maybe that translates indirectly to some improvement in performance.
0: That's such a great point. Yeah. And I I like that you um, mentioned too, because that's, that's one of the things I've seen recently is that maybe it's, maybe it's not even the fact that you're doing the training fasted. It's that you've essentially or effectively cut out a meal for the day. And so, you're eating less <laughs> it's just it. maybe it's easier to do it first thing in the morning hop on the bike and it's prevented you from having a big breakfast or something yep, along those lines but definitely. like you but it sounds like what you're saying is everything in moderation and do it say like it has to be easy
1: has to be easy yep and again just you know who, who are we talking about uh, a 30 year old woman Who's got an Iron Man on the table? You know, in four months, um, or is this uh, recreational? Um, you know, forty-five-year-old man who's just new into sport and has fifty-pound salute. You know, so there's like, who, who are we talking about? And then really being um, analytical or careful before we just prescribe, you know, six months of fasted training, and that's the only thing we look at. So we definitely have to put the person in context.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. I know you have to go, but like I said, I would absolutely love to pick this up um, and continue the conversation.
1: Yeah, because look, I didn't even get to all of my mistakes. I know We got through
0: one of 20. We got through one of 20.
1: (laughs) Now I'm, maybe there's one more quick one. I don't know if we, we should do that or just save it.
0: I, I say save it. If you're okay. if you're willing to come back, let's save it. And but before okay. I let you go, um, where can people follow you on social media or find you on the internet?
1: Oh, thanks, Dave. Yeah, nutritionmechanic.com is my website. Uh Instagram is nutrition mechanic and uh Facebook is Mechanic Dina because somebody else had nutrition <laughs> mechanic. But uh, my website's best and my email and everything is on that on that page.
0: That's awesome. and And one last thing. Do you have um, any recommended reading or listening uh, for people to find more information about this until the next time we talk?
1: Mm, f- about nutrition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, let's see. That's a great question. I think. Uh, You know, the website that you mentioned in the beginning is a really good one for those who just want very science-based. Ask your You Can Droop's website. Um, My Sport Science, I believe, is the domain. So that's a really good one for exposing yourself to science-based sport nutrition.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I, I hope we talk again soon.
1: Thanks, Dave. Good to chat with you. All right. Take care.